hello everyone, this is Kim C, and you're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King. I am a university fiction teacher, and this is my podcast that honors and analyzes the unexplored works of fiction master Stephen King. Hello guys and gals, it's so great to be back with you after my January holiday. Thank you all so very much for your patience. I love you Ireland, my goodness, I did not want to come back home. I had a wonderful time, I can't wait to return. But today, lovely listeners, we begin our first King title of 2022, and that is 1985's short story collection, Skeleton Crew. Yes, we're doing it. And we're doing it for the very first time. I've never read it before. Not one single story within the compilation. It's all brand new. So we are kicking off this 22-story compilation with the first novella in the collection. The very first that kicks it off. And that is The Mist. Wowza, friends. Wow. So, lots to discuss with this one, as it is an absolute fright fest, truly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, this one is absolutely 80s king in full-on ominous, macabre creep-out, and Kim C. was not prepared for the stress of this story, 30,000 feet in the air, let me tell you. But... I'm excited, guys. It was my very first time reading The Mist. I have never cracked it open before, and uh, it was also my very first time observing the 2007 Frank Darabont film, the adaptation of The Mist, which we most definitely will be talking about later on in this episode. Holy hell, folks. I am... I am not okay after the movie, dear ones. Oh gosh, more on that later, promise, promise. But overall, concerning The Mist, as I mentioned previously, I was completely green, totally unaware of all the spoilers. I knew nothing. I even, I don't even know how. I I just never saw the movie. I never heard about it. Uh, Nothing was ruined for me. So it was quite a treat to just walk into this and experience it. Uh, Wow, it is huge. And I can understand why The Mist is a king title that is heavily discussed and analyzed amongst constant readers as well as horror fans. And when it came to approaching Skeleton Key, I just could not not give The Mist its own spotlight. This is a really big novella that kicks off Skeleton Crew, and there's just so much to say, guys. There's so much going on, and what I've decided to do, uh, if you're with me now, (laughs) you must observe, we're doing an isolated episode for The Mist. Today, we're going to explore this novella for its strengths, and we're going to look at a few things I wish we could edit out, I wish we could maybe chop and rearrange, as well as some questions I have. In addition to the 2007 film, we have to discuss it. Oh my god, yes, 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 we must. Uh, So after this episode concludes, we will be splitting the compilation of Skeleton Crew into two additional episodes. We're going to break down the remaining 22 stories. So the next episode to follow will focus on the 11 stories after the mist, 
And then the third episode for Skeleton Crew will wrap up the final 10 stories. So hopefully these next few podcast eps yield a lot of fun, a lot of richness, a lot of good content and commentary. And from what I've heard and read about Skeleton Crew, potentially a lot of freakout is on the horizon. So it sounds like this is a really bombastic story collection in terms of horror. So uh, if you're joining this podcast for the very first time, the irony behind it all is I consider myself a very unique King fan, a very special little snowflake as I do not consider myself a horror fan. I am chicken, chicken, chicken. I'm a huge fraidy cat. However, because I'm an English major, I tip my hat to a lot of gothic literature. I do love the gothic so, so much, especially ghosties, haunted houses. So there are some horror elements and especially some films that really blow my dress up. I really love ghosty stuff. Anything filled with secrets and long buried treachery, betrayal, the gothic moors, uh, creepy old mansions, sign me up, I'm there. Uh, slashers, any kind of, oh gosh, the other horror genres out there, monster movies, some of them I can digest. I do like suspense, um, however, gore, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't do well. I will brave I will brave it, of course, and if you jump back to one of my episodes way in the beginning of the podcast, I kind of explain my approach to King despite being a huge Frady cat. So if you're looking into more of an understanding of my personal psychology, I refer to the quote from King Kong. I think it's in the 1933 version. It's also in the remake they did in the early 2000s where at the very end of the film, uh, the director, Denim, he says over the dead body of King Kong, spoiler alert, sorry, he does fall to his death, sorry, sorry, Um, and he says, it was beauty that killed the beast. It's King's beautiful writing that gives me the bravery to go to these places. He makes me brave because I love his writing so much, and even though (laughs) it gets occasionally terrifying and super effed up, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna trek that dark path uh, by myself. But the great part of the Stephen King community is I'm really never by myself. And I have all of you. So it's a wonderful thing. I love it, love it, love it. But yeah, so if you're brand new to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. We hope you stay a while. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. Let's get back on track here. So <laughs> with Skeleton Crew, I'm preparing myself for a little bit of potential gross out and potential freak out. So we shall report more on that as we dive into the individual stories and the upcoming episodes. So I'm once more tremendously excited to kick off year three of this podcast, the year of underrated Stephen King. We are super excited and today without further ado, we're gonna get misty. (laughs) We are going to break down this 1980 novella that was first published in a short story collection called Dark Forces. Uh, So this was, uh, the publication date was 1980. Uh, It's definitely a horror publication, and as I mentioned, I'm getting the vibe that that's what Skeleton Crew is going to be all about. So we're really going to be exploring some old school king here, 
at the kind of cresting popularity in his career where he's really marketable and potentially getting a little bit typecast at in those early days as being a horror author. So more on that in a little bit, but I just really, <laughs> as we start to begin our coverage on on the mist i i really do have to take just a moment to let the steam out of the pressure cooker that is my brain concerning this novella dear folks um this thing although incredibly entertaining is quite nerve-wracking and very stressful and uh the film absolutely represents that tenfold i can't wait to discuss that with all of you um but there's a lot of wonderful stuff going on in here uh i love the vintage vibe from this story as if King is totally channeling the best of Lovecraft and Poe, but yet combining it with that post-apocalyptic vibe he created for readers with The Stand. There's so much to admire here. And once more, I'm totally aware that this title in particular is not an underrated King title, which is kind of, we don't do too, too many of those. Uh, here on the show, we try to give spotlight to the titles in the shadows, the ones that don't get discussed a little bit. We try and investigate those ones. And The Mist is definitely not in that category. This lady is popular, The Mist. It is always mentioned in horror circles all over the place, but it is the opening work to Skeleton Crew. And so at the end of the upcoming three episodes for Skeleton Crew, we're just going to take a look at the compilation as a whole, with The Mist included, uh, exploring where it was strong, where it was weak, everything in between. Let's get into it. Let's go. So here is a quick summary of The Mist. The Mist is uh, a... <laughs> here, I, it's all... <laughs> I'm getting uh, two thoughts uh, smashing into each other. So this is a quick summary of The Mist. It's a little over 160 pages. The Mist features the characters of David, a commercial painter, his wife Stephanie, and five-year-old son Billy. After a terrible late July storm that causes a lot of damage to the town of Bridgeton, Maine, David, Billy, and, and David's frenemy neighbor Brent Norton head to the grocery store to gather food and supplies when a mysterious, physically white mist encircles the store blinding the store to the outside world it creates a huge panic but what is found within the mist is terrible and otherworldly and begins to kill those inside the grocery store and beyond so hopefully that works just to kind of kick us off it's I'm so excited to uh, explore all the creepiness that's going to follow. So before we get deeper into it, dear listeners, once more, caveat emptor, which is buyer beware. I'm going to, in my investigation, avoid spoilers as much as I can. However, I really need to talk about the ending of this novella. I need to full on drudge it up and dissect it 
it's very important because we're going to line it up right next to the film ending which is a 180 difference it's absolutely different we must discuss it but definitely watch out if you haven't read the mist yet please pause and come back when you're fresh because this is a very fun story i don't want to ruin this for anyone it's a very short read they often have this novella because it's pretty awesome it's pretty kick-ass very fun very popcorn uh it's sold uh separately quite uh quite a bit i've seen several different copies and i have my hardback cover of skeleton crew the american one with the creepy monkey on the cover and then i also have a paperback cover of the mist that i just bought on a whim because i knew uh, once i started reading it in the skeleton crew i just grabbed an additional copy also that's a thing that king fans do we constant readers have multiple copies of everything don't we so uh i have a 163 page paperback one i believe this was a 2010 release i think so lots of copies floating around of singular copies of the mist so please jump back and give it a read it's pretty quick or if you're doing the audiobook will Patton, who is a tremendous stephen king narrator and actor does a pretty fantastic job with this title so if you're looking for a very entertaining audiobook experience please consult will Patton, the narrator for the mist but now dear folks let us now look at what I admire, what I enjoyed about The Mist, where I found it strong, and then we'll take a look at some parts that I wish I could have fixed. <laughs> we will also segue into some questions, and then we'll take a look at the 2007 Frank Darabont film, The Mist. I don't have any information on the 2017 Sci-Fi Channel series. It looks to have been canceled after only one season. I did not investigate this or watch any of it. So if any of you all have any thoughts, uh, feel free to write into the show at underratedsk at gmail. Let me know if I should see it or skip it, um, if it kind of has anything fun that you liked to explore but for today that is our format and once more it is so great to be with all of you as we head into this amazing short short short, short story compilation i'm super stoked totally jazzed let's open the door and head into the white mist and i'll see you in the next section dear ones let us gently tiptoe into this white mist 
hopefully it's not super smelly as it is is said to be in this story um yeah <laughs> let's head in there i have four categories that i'd like to discuss with you today in terms of what i really enjoyed about this first read through of the mist this novella that definitely caught my attention so i want to begin of course with the author's notes to the story i do love that king provides that to his readers so at the very back of the american hardcover of skeleton crew i'm sure in the paperback as well he includes the thoughts and inspirations behind each short story it's one of the reasons why i love stephen king short stories it's like the cherry on top of the sunday because the short stories in general i'm obsessed with i love observing his craft the decisions he makes because he has a tiny runway to work with and i think um when I read his stuff, I really get a sense of his magic, but that's uh, for next episode. So concerning The Mist, King writes that he had a little bit of writer's block around the summer of 1976. He just was kind of struggling and a literary agent, I think named Kirby or rather a publisher, the guy who published Dark Forces, forgive me if I'm getting a little of this uh, confused or uh, mixed up but was kind of pushing him to write a story for the anthology and he in sounds like it was summertime after a storm while at the grocery store got this amazing idea this little thread of a story when he imagined a kind of prehistoric bird crashing all around and wondered what it would be like if people were stuck in a grocery store with this prehistoric kind of phenomena all around them and so the mist was kind of born after that and published in 1980 put in skeleton crew in 1985 there we go with that so one of the first things that i'd like to discuss my first category is what i'm calling sociologically fascinating so oh my gosh guys for those of you who are big fans of psychology oftentimes we forget or it's not as studied the field of sociology psychology of course is the study of the brain and behavior whereas sociology is the study of people in groups i loved sociology uh, in school it was one of my favorite classes especially sociological theory lots of good stuff there but this story is such an amazing look at people in groups and i think king explores some wonderful awesome and dark uh sides of humanity especially in groups and you know coincidentally it's quite timely i think if you look at the various groups throughout that have kind of conglomerated together within these i don't know past couple years it's a uh, frightening in its also fascinating but quite frightening so inside the supermarket once the mist encloses everybody groups start to form you have what's called what king calls direct quote the flat earthers which encompass brent norton and several others they refuse to believe that there are that there is anything dangerous outside even though there are terrified men and women or men that saw 
atrocities right in front of them. They probably have physical blood on their clothing and they're trying to convince Brent Norton and these other people uh, that there's something incredibly dangerous, super sinister. You cannot go outside. You cannot go into the mist. And yet the flat earthers, Brent, Brent Norton and others, refuse to believe it. They 1000% believe um, are holding firm to the belief that there is a concrete, rational explanation for this and that staying in the store is not the best option. They need to seek rescue or rather they just, they refuse to let their minds go to that place and they refuse to believe it. So the flat earthers uh, and or the, the rationals who refuse to get on board. So we ha- we kind of have that sociological group forming, the, the, the deniers, the naysayers, no matter what you do, they're not going to believe it's real, like some people do with, you know, global pandemics, not going there. Um, moving on, we also have uh, the religious zealots, and this is kind of going to lead me into my next category, which is the character of Mrs. Carmody. So, the zealots, and these are the people that go from zero to a hundred in a microsecond with the fire and brimstone of spiritual teaching. They immediately uh, pull that to the forefront and become manic street preachers in the you must repent, the end is nigh, and we have that represented beautifully in this story with the character of Mrs. Carmody. She's in the beginning of the story referred to as kind of a maybe a crazy cat lady in terms of being a curmudgeon and slightly eccentric, but also maybe a little witchy-woo. She's quite fascinating. We're going to break her down more a little bit here in, in the next topic, but she is a haunting presence in this story, guys. She is frightening in her doomsday uh, prophesizing. Uh, she's just relentless in this dark, ominous um, foretelling. So everything that's happening is death, it's the end, it's the punishment of sin, it's the wrath of God, and this is represented in the movie as her really kind of getting some followers. It's really, it's a really good representation. Whereas in the, in the story, she, it's not written that people are listening to her, but I'm sure they are. I think there are a lot of humans where the logical, when the impossible kind of happens and and the rational mind cannot fathom, you immediately go to the spiritual, the dark spiritual. And uh, I think that that's what we kind of have in this sociological slice of the story is you have the naysayers and then you've got the zealots who immediately go to uh, this is punishment for mankind for for its sin, and you must repent before it gets worse. And with the character of Mrs. Carmody, she gets really sinister about it, really quite frightening, and starts talking about a human blood sacrifice, because blood sacrifice throughout the Hebrew text, um, at least before the New Testament, we have... Um, we have 
written textual evidence that blood sacrifice was how everybody did business with the god upstairs with the guy upstairs like everybody that was that was the way it it kind all sort of agreements went came down to blood sacrifice so we have lots of occurrences in the old testament where any kind of covenant or deal with with the big guy uh, is the shedding of blood uh, and that's why the new testament we have the human sacrifice of jesus christ and so but there's blood there's blood sacrifice all over the bible so um we have the the far side of dark spirituality with the the religious zealots of which mrs carmody is one of them and then you have this other group which david drayton um amanda dunfries uh, i think mrs kepler i'm forgetting her first name these are some fantastic characters ollie he's wonderful um these are the people who are the boots on the ground survivors these are the people who might not i don't think we might we would maybe call them doomsday preppers i don't know if they were prepped for it but these are the people that face the crisis with bravery and perseverance they don't want to give up and for david he can't give up because he has his five-year-old son billy right next to him and he's terrified and he's got to take care of billy so there's a large amount of fortitude and just bravery and yeah this is the group that is incredibly sociologically fascinating they are the ones who rise to the occasion in crisis we hear about these people in in war times these are the people that get those medals who absolutely shine bright and save people when the bullets are flying when the the heat is on when danger is all around them this is the brave group so these are the people who face the crises who are brave who don't run who run toward it um to save others they are the heroes so we can maybe call them the hero group and these groups are all represented in this tiny little story you guys or rather this this novella we've got 160 pages and then we've got this sort of petri dish of activity of human groups inside the supermarket and observing these groups is amazing and king kind of gives us this really cool social experiment what do you do when you have an outside predator when all of a sudden the humans are not at the top of the food chain anymore and they are in a vulnerable spot and what do you do when they try to lead or when some groups try to lead and and then others thinking a very different way go the opposite way like what do you do and of course we have more sociologically fascinating stuff inside the stand of course huge sociological gold mine for for looking at the two groups those who follow mother abigail and those who follow the dark one the man in black random no not the man in black randall flag you guys pardon so i just finished reading um dark tower 3 the wastelands and i am convinced that the man in black is randall flag so that is obviously deep in my subconscious because it just flew out of my mouth so forgive me i was talking with my good friend matt hurt about about this so uncertain if it is a hundred percent however um my my uh my subconscious seems to think it is ergo back on track 
I think we have another sociologically fascinating text with the stand, of course, looking at the two groups, those who follow Flag, those who follow Mother Abigail, all of their personal psychologies wrapped up in that. But I really loved inside this 160-page novella, looking at the groups that King brings to the reader. It's very cool, guys, and I, I like that. We, we have these people that just, no matter, oh my gosh, it's so, it's mind-boggling. It's just, some people can 1,000% feel and believe a certain way that is completely contrary to the physical evidence all around them. Uh, we have, through the glass windows of the grocery store, evidence of of monsters of extraterrestrial beings without revealing too much we have that right in front of 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 their eyes and yet they choose to <laughs> believe differently so it's it's a really fascinating and frustrating look because i think as the reader you're kind of shaking your head and face palming a little bit as in terms of like are you kidding me after all that and you still want to go outside you still want to go into the mist okay um and so there's there's a lot to explore with that because at the same time i had that idea i was thinking to myself well imagine what would bring them to that decision like what kind of characterization would potentially lead a character to to do that and this is fascinating guys if anybody's interested in improving if, if you're a fiction writer or a screenwriter like this is a very cool exercise in terms of observing what makes a person do that like what makes a person in the group influenced enough to go a certain way or rather not listen or etc it's fascinating we have a lot of strong characters in this story they're not an and they're not exactly fleshed out individually like we don't get a lot about each character but what we do get is the character in relation to the group so i want to say we get group characters because you know that this character is a part of the hero group this character is the flat earth group this character is the religious zealot group so so much good stuff guys this novella is once more sociologically fascinating i really loved it so my second category is mrs carmody i i you guys this character is frighteningly good she makes the story five times more scary for me um she is a very frightening character um i read alongside the audio version of this story because we here at the year of underrated stephen king are huge fans of reading and listening to the text at the same time it's a really cool brain engagement exercise where you're hearing language and seeing language so highly recommend if you're looking to up your reading game this year definitely have the physical text in front of you and also have the audiobook playing in the background so i did and will patton's narrating and oh my god he is he is performing mrs carmody like she is an old witch from a fairy tale i couldn't help but imagine the evil queen from snow white if you guys remember the 19th 
gosh, what? Oh, God, I'm going to lose so many points. 1933? Was that the Snow White? The very first Disney movie? Um, unsure, but if you guys can visualize, I'm sure we all can. When the evil queen transforms into the old hag, visualize right now the old hag. You can do it, right? Like the black hood and the creepy face. That is the woman <laughs> I was imagining connected to the to the description of Mrs. Carmody. She is written to be old, much older, which is why the casting choice for the movie was very surprising. More on that later. But she's old, she's crotchety, she's kind of withered looking, um, but she starts to become incredibly frightening when she starts to go off the rails and completely unhinged with foretelling the doom that's about to happen to all of them and how a blood sacrifice is the only way they can be saved. She's insane. She's also vulgar and cruel and cold, which I think is another reason King is making her so heinous, because he, I think, is potentially also saying that some, most times, oftentimes, uh, the religious zealots, it's either connected to mental illness or extreme personal ugliness, and it really has nothing to do with spirituality whatsoever. It's just the ugliness of the human soul, and they're kind of just spouting just darkness because they're so rotten inside there's that tangent you can go off of but mrs carmody scared the hell out of me and she definitely exacerbated the the reader stress so what's fascinating is the kind of stressful um tension created from the text and this character of mrs carmody as the violence starts to to ramp up outside as the body count starts to ramp up this lady is more and more relentless on the doom of humanity on the punishment of sin uh, all sorts of creepiness and so mrs carmody is someone who i I love because she's she just makes this worse like she makes the story more real more frightening because we we do have a lot of folk out there that immediately go to the dark black hole of the the spiritual wrath of of God or wrath of the the book of revelation or Sheol or any kind of belief from judeo-christian traditions that bad people are punished with a physical hell um to their soul a, a pit of pain and suffering most likely fire where there's a um a physical devil or, or the devil with with horns and red like just all of these really old school depictions of violence eternal damnation for the human soul and so we've got the monsters outside the physical monsters outside of the grocery store we can't see them the mist protects them encircles them everybody is stuck can't escape and then you have this monster inside the grocery store the character of mrs carmody who's not doing anybody any favors she is not speaking anything hopeful she is not making anybody feel better she's not contributing to the group at all she's irrational illogical she's frightening and i love her <laughs> i love 
that King decided to explore the ugliness and the frightening terror that this group of people or this individual character can can lend to an already terrifying situation it's just like gasoline on on the flame and so i really like mrs carmody guys she's spooky rific she's uncomfortable she's upsetting and i really love what goes down with her i really love how she exits the novel i was very very happy about it so my fourth category that i super duper enjoyed about the mist is it is such an entertaining creature feature and that's kind of what i'm titling this category because this is a old school monster movie guys this definitely has the vintage vibe of the classic horror films as well as a kind of especially if you listen to the audiobook alongside the text while reading it really gives that kind of Orson Welles' War of the the Worlds production kind of vibe, which I love. It's entertaining uh, in the way that only a kind of radio play could be back in the day. Lots of description, lots of focus on tension and mood and the ominous... Um, unknown creeping up and this is suspenseful yet we get those wonderful details describing these imaginative creatures we have three different kinds of creatures guys we have four i take that back we have four different kinds of creatures um without ruining the details for someone who hasn't read the mist um, i'm just gonna kind of touch upon the 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 species group uh the first one of course is aquatic that's all i'll say this one is my favorite i really get the lovecraft uh wave um the the little wave to the nod to lovecraft i should say um for cthulhu fans out there i i love this first one so the first sort of category is aquatic and i loved it that one really frightened me um i loved the description of this this is the first sort of creature reveal within the story is this aquatic-esque thing i wanna i don't want to ruin it so we're just gonna keep it kind of vague and if you guys don't remember exactly what it was this is an opportunity to jump back um and experience it once more because it's a lot of fun the second creature we have um depicted is insect that's all i'll say there then we get the birds in quotes <laughs> so we kind of have this bird thing creature um very prehistoric kind of uh, i forget the i forget the name for the study of birds or ornithology ornith um might be getting that wrong uh ornithological we'll just stop while we're ahead <laughs> we got a bird and then the fourth is kind of i don't know enormous like dinosaur-esque maybe dinosaur crustacean hybrid-esque unsure it's just fantastical and wild um but it's an awesome old school creature feature um as if you were going to those frightening monster movies in the 40s and 50s the kind of pulp films like the wasp 
the wasp woman, the blob, the creature from the black lagoon, you know, these are huge fun movies back in the day and I think that the mist channels that vibe, especially when you get the description of the monsters and you, you actually get a hold of 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 the the details in your imagination and you're like oh this feels so old school and that's what i really liked about it it is frightening but at the same time digestible and you're like okay this is a monster but it is connected to animal-esque stuff that i (laughs) that are on this planet kind of thing even though king does describe it's kind of like that. He always says it's kind of like a bird or a bird thing or it's kind of like a this or a that. So you could tell it's definitely not the typical representation of these animals or creatures. But when you listen to the audiobook and you're reading alongside the text, this just has that old school creature feature monster movie vibe and it's very retro. So if you're looking for a kind of retro Halloween um, creature feature experience, this is such a great representation of that. It's fun. It's also frightening. We do get a lot of gore in here. We get a lot of... There's a lot of blood, guys. These these poor people are just like sitting ducks in this grocery store, which is what makes the whole story so terrifying is the, the vulnerability of every single person. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare if you're you're stuck in a grocery store with strangers who have to rely on each other for survival, and yet they've uh, separated into these groups where it's every man for himself and nobody wants to help each other, so it's quite terrible and terrifying. Meanwhile, there are monster creatures that are causing quite a bit of of blood and damage and absolute havoc. So old school creature feature, super entertaining, very vintage. So I really love thinking that uh, King was definitely channeling Lovecraft, the best of Poe. Like if you were a fan of the old school creature features, this is such a fun story and I loved that. Um, I, <laughs> I love the vintage retro vibe. Our last positive category before we get into criticisms is the open-ended ominous ending. Alright guys, so the way this story ends is very cool and it kind of, I was very pleased with it. I liked it quite a bit. I also, well, well, we'll save the movie for last. I'm so excited to talk about the movie. I gotta pause myself. I gotta stop myself because I'm chomping at the bit. But the ending to the story was very successful for me. So David, Amanda, and Billy, and Mrs. Kepler managed to escape the, the grocery store. And this is a great thing. They get out they drive and David is collecting his thoughts at a Howard Johnson motel. They are kind of, he's talking about how he's going to need to siphon some gas. He doesn't really know how he's going to do it and he's fiddling with the radio and here's the word Hartford or what he thinks is the word Hartford. Hartford being Hartford, Connecticut, the next place they can maybe travel. And the the story ends with uh, David saying goodnight to a sleeping Billy 
saying hope and Hartford as in that's where they're headed that's where we're going to try they're going to try to go and the reader is left with this idea that it seems like maybe frighteningly the whole world was put under the blanket of the mist and all of the monsters have taken over everything that is alluded to uh given the fact that the radio stations are totally blank and there's nothing but static so that's quite frightening um we also don't know what happened to those left at the grocery store david says he never finds out um so we kind of end the story with a great big wide open what if and it works it definitely leads me to remember uh cormac mccarthy's the road uh and it kind of gave me a real walking dead uh is comparison where you know just here's the here's the beginning of the end potentially or maybe this is all there is this new world of post monster post mist or the mist forever we don't know um i loved it i think it works it's creepy it's sad um and it's just the fate of our characters are uncertain it's just open and all we know is that they need gas and they're trying to get to connecticut that's all we know so this was tremendously successful for me and it kind of left the haunting sad spooky vibe in my heart after i closed it and it 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 really solidifies the mist as being a winner most definitely this is such a winner of a novella guys it's so entertaining very popcorn and yet uh it kind of hits hard um with with the ending of not knowing what happened to his wife stephanie we never find out uh he's got amanda dunfries who's um more on her later uh and then mrs kepler who's a very brave woman who's really kind of comedic relief she's very cool we like her a lot so he's got some two strong women with him he's got little billy and that's it and that's all we know and so we've got this band of characters about to commence into survival i loved it super happy with it so to recap the four things i really enjoyed about the mist number one sociologically fascinating so so much for a tiny novella this packed a punch and this definitely got me wishing i was back in sociology class um number two mrs carmody what a nut job what a frightening woman is totally essential to the story loved her number three entertaining creature feature oh my gosh yes bring all the monsters all of them and then number four the open-ended ominous ending so pleased with it so incredibly pleased all right everybody let's head into our next section where we're going to talk about some criticisms and some parts that absolutely need to be edited out i'll see you there Ladies and gentlemen, we are definitely deep into the mist now, and this is the section of the episode where I definitely lift up the rug a little bit and take a look at the areas that I felt 
just didn't jive well with me. Um, this is the criticism section. This is the area of the story that I want to pick apart a little bit as not working for me. This is the area that is not very strong. In fiction writing workshop, we always, always, always start with the positive. We take a look at all the things that make the story work well, where its strength lies, and then, as if the author was in workshop with us, we kind of acknowledge what's not working. So I really only have one big giant part of, well, it's not a giant part, but it, let's just say it makes an impact of the mist that I just feel 1000% should be edited out. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't work. So that part is the, well, I was going to call it infidelity, but that's a loaded word. I don't know if that works. Um, let's just say, we'll, we'll call it the stress sex with Amanda Dunfries. So before we, we kind of discuss this part of the story that completely doesn't work, I did want to read you a chunk of the text. So this will kind of hopefully assist in uh, maybe representing why I'm having a problem with it. So this can be found, let me see here, this is in my individual Scribner paperback. This was a 2018 release and this begins on page 111. So I would like to read this to you guys to kind of highlight where the character of David Drayton is around this point in the story and why I have a little bit of a problem. All right. Crazy isn't the best word. Perhaps I just can't think of a proper one. But there were these people who had lapsed into a complete stupor without benefit of beer, wine, or pills. They stared at you with blank and shiny doorknob eyes. The hard cement of reality had come apart in some unimaginable earthquake, and these poor devils had fallen through. In time, some of them might come back, if there was time. The rest of us had made our own mental compromises, and in some cases I suppose they were fairly odd. Mrs. Repler, not Kepler, whoops, my bad. Mrs. Repler, for instance, was convinced the whole thing was a dream, or so she, so she said, and she spoke with some conviction. I looked over at Amanda. I was developing an uncomfortably strong feeling for her, uncomfortable but not exactly unpleasant. Her eyes were an incredible, brilliant green. For a while, I had kept an eye on her to see if she was going to take out a pair of contact lenses, but apparently the color was true. I wanted to make love to her. My wife was at home, maybe alive, more probably dead, alone either way, and I loved her. I wanted to get Billy and me back to her more than anything, but I also wanted to screw this lady named Amanda Dumfries. I tried to tell myself it was just the situation we were in, and maybe it was, but that didn't change the wanting. I dozed in and out, then jerked awake more fully around three. Amanda had shifted into a sort of fetal position. Her knees pulled up toward her chest, hands clasped between her thighs. She seemed to be sleeping deeply. Her sweatshirt had pulled up slightly on one side, showing clean white skin. I looked at it and began to get an extremely useless and uncomfortable erection. 
I tried to divert my mind to a new track and got thinking about how I wanted to paint Brent Norton yesterday. No, nothing as important as a painting, but just sit him on a log with my beer in his hand and sketch his sweaty, tired face and the two wings of his carefully processed hair sticking up and tidying the back could have been a good picture. It took me 20 years of living with my father to accept the idea that being good could be good enough. You know what talent is? The curse of expectation. As a kid, you have to deal with that. Beat it somehow. If you can write, you think God put you on earth to blow Shakespeare away. Or if you can paint, maybe you think, I did, that God put you on earth to blow your father away. Alright, we'll stop there. That'll, <laughs> that will hopefully kind of lend you guys to where I'm at when I discuss the absolutely useless character chunk that, uh, or rather the plot point of David Drayton sleeping with Amanda Dumfries. So, where to begin? <laughs> so, um, with that scene, even though that, that kind of isolated chunk is one of the only sort of prose chunks we get. So, uh, by this point in the story, I, I feel they've been in the Federal Foods grocery store for less than 18 hours, you guys. That is okay. So, the thing is, I understand. I, I'm torn into two camps. On the one side, I'm kind of like, well, human beings react to stress in different ways. And especially when death is involved, granted, I am not a man. I don't have sex like a man. I don't think about sex like a man. Um, so, uh, but in my imagination and the, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure that if that was a an option and something that I could do with a willing consenting participant I would rather do that than you know face death by dismemberment by a monster you know that might be a choice I make however what we what's conflicting is if we jump back to the previous section where I was talking about the sociological fascinating groups in the story David is the hero group, right? He's the one who's going to fight and do the right thing. Granted, he doesn't have to be a white knight to do that, but King made him a good father. He made him a good husband. We have limited interaction with Stephanie at the beginning of the story. She kind of reminds me, for those of you who have read Firestarter, we don't get a lot of her, much like we don't get a lot of Victoria, Charlie McGee's number. She's number mother <laughs> charlie mcgee's mother she's there and then she's quickly killed and that's that and i feel that's kind of the case with stephanie although the reader doesn't know her fate so according to the reader we have hope she could still be alive we really don't know what's going on and even though david in his heart believes that she's dead we as the reader kind of think she's dead but it's still there that she might be alive but it's like, okay, bro, this is less than 18 hours and you're getting your, pardon my crass expression, but you're getting a boner for someone else. Like, this is just showing your character is kind of like, uh, well, um, not as honorable. We'll just say that. Granted, as I mentioned, let's jump back to those two camps I was telling you about. On the one hand, I'm trying to logically 
uh, look at a stressful situation and how some people might want to have sex in the face of death just for physical release to feel better and to combat stress, high stress. Um, so I, on the one hand, that's how I'm thinking, and I have radical acceptance for this area of the text. The other 50% of me is absolutely livid that this takes place. Um, here's the other reason why this scene is upsetting, and it's not necessarily the moral nature of the infidelity or the affair. Uh, that's not so, so please don't confuse me for being overly conservative it's what i'm looking at is the futility of it i just think it doesn't do anything in the story it, except represent kind of like silliness and unbelievability the unbe- unbelievability uh is attached to the fact that there's a direct quote i won't read it but in the actual physical sex he uh, that david has with amanda it is written, please cover the ears of young listeners if you have any children or young people listening. So he says, like, at the very end, when she came, she dug her nails into my back. First of all, that is cliche as all hell. Granted, this is the early 80s, so we'll forgive him. But secondly, um, nobody had an orgasm, Mr. King. No woman had an orgasm. Sorry. Like, you're in a broom closet in a grocery store where imminent death is all around you you are also married to other people you are also not in a private place um as just a few pages later the evil mrs carmody lets the entire place know that she knows you guys screwed so um it's it's laughable it's laughable that they kind of that he writes that Amanda had an orgasm, which, not saying it's impossible, it very well could have been, um, but it's just implausible, it's foolish, it does nothing to help me like any of their characters. I know as the reader, Amanda is married, I know David is married, we've met as the reader, his wife Stephanie, so it's like, okay, you just decided to, to cheat, and you we don't know if there you know we don't know if your wife's alive we don't bottom line we kind of have the the opportunity to observe david drayton in a more negative light this of course leads to complex characters we like complex characters in king we do but as the reader i'm focused on the freaking monsters that are gonna blast through the glass and kill everyone i am focused on you know what the heck caused these monsters to to come why is the mist here like that's where i'm at i'm on this creature feature suspense ride i don't need like your pervy thoughts and your random hookup in the grocery store broom closet david drayton like i just don't need it we also have in the author's notes of skeleton crew king writes that he didn't really care for it either um but he says that he left it in the story in the rewrite because he liked the language he used he was kind of feeling his writing a little bit and i just shake my head at that because i understand you can really enjoy how something sounds and he can maybe enjoy the 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 syntax and juxtaposition of of the the lyricism of of the words but please steve like 
we you are a character author you're a character author this is a very action-packed popcorn novella we get that however i don't like david as much as i did uh, because i think stephanie might still be alive how should i know i you know we haven't seen a dead body we don't know that for sure i don't have closure on that and he seemed like an honorable stand-up family man and king kind of writes those quite a bit because i think even king is a little conservative when it comes to the sacredness of marriage for example if you jump back to my episode on the running man a bachman title i really did not like but i i kind of faked it till i made it <laughs> with that read through um I didn't really care for it, but uh, there is a there's a lot of perviness in Bachman's writing. It's really sort of X-rated because it's King with no filter. And in The Running Man, he is married, the character, he is married. And despite the fact of him saying he wants to like rape women and he's looking at their chest and he's extremely inappropriate and sexist, he does not cheat on his wife. And that's a Bachman book. Um, so we, I was surprised. I was surprised that we do have David having this illicit sort of hookup and, um, in the middle of this monster story. I just feel this is 1000%, uh, choppable. This, if we could just chop this, I would have been so much happier as the reader if we wouldn't have had physical sex, but maybe we could have had some flirtation, especially given the fact that Amanda and him uh, end the story together. They are in each other's company, so it can be hinted at that they will be in relationship together, and maybe there it might be greater than love, or, or pardon me, greater than physical attraction, that there might be a love bond there, but it's dumb. It's dumb, guys. It just doesn't work. It's distracting. It, um, I, yeah, I, I'm torn. I'm very torn. I'm 50-50 on the one side. I'm completely accepting of it. I get it. I understand. Being a constant reader, we have to accept a lot of things, such as fans of It, when we get to the, toward the end, the, ch the scene in the sewer with the children. We have to accept a lot of things as constant readers, guys. We, there are a lot of decisions that we have to just shake our heads at, but keep on rolling. So this is one of them. I'm accepting it, but I, on the other hand, I'm deeply displeased. I'm displeased that the whole thing went down. I'm displeased that David sounds like he sounds like just a, a, a see all I have. <laughs> I should just say what's on my mind. He sounds like a poon hound. Like that's a very crass expression. Um, something you would hear in a bar. Forgive me for lack of a better expression, but he just sounds like a skirt chaser. That would have been better instead of the one I used. But he sounds like a skirt chaser who, like, in less than 24 hours is having an affair on his wife who we don't yet know is deceased. Okay, so that's speaking volumes of his character. It just is. Um, I don't know if it was necessary. I just don't feel it adds to the story. It distracts. And then it's laughable because you're making a man to have an orgasm please like nobody had an orgasm steve like no this was a five minute stress encounter 
where there wasn't enough time to to have an orgasm. I highly doubt. I think it's a male fantasy. I think this was Steve's male fantasy. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> so we'll just wrap this up. We'll wrap this package and we're going to put it in the very back. However, dear listener, just know I am displeased. So the other area I want to discuss with you guys in terms of not necessarily a criticism, but the cool part in terms of the reader actually knowing why the mist has occurred, why the creatures have occurred, is this idea called the Arrowhead Project. This is very similar to, again, once more referring back to, is it 19... Crap, I'm forgetting when Firestarter was released. My gut tells me 1982, it could be 84, early 80s. Please forgive me if that I'm not remembering it. I actually think it could be 1980. I'm all a mess. Let's jump back to Firestarter where we have a secret government agency called The Shop, which disperses Lot 6, the chemical compound that mutates people, gives them special powers. This is a thing we see in early King writing where we're kind of doing the secret government experiment branch. We have that here once more in the mist with this Arrowhead project. So there's a rumor floating around town that there are some soldiers out and about and they're doing tests and it's something called the Arrowhead project. We get more ominous uh, rumblings of the government involvement in this with a part in the story in which two soldiers, uniformed soldiers, hang themselves in the back of the Federal Foods grocery store and their bodies are discovered. It's very grim and gross and graphic and gory. Lots of cheese there just now. Um, And so the reader is led to believe that this is a secret government initiative movement thing. So that's that's what we got there. And it's a it works it works here's my idea guys if i want if i were to kind of take the mist into the 21st century i would eliminate all that i would eliminate a connection or a reason for the mist or the monsters and just let it be as the joker would say an agent of chaos. I think it should just be random chaos. And then we would really see these sociological groups blooming. Um, I think that we have success like that inside the shows and titles like The Walking Dead. Um, Granted, I only saw a couple seasons of that show before I gave up because it was the same thing over and over again. But in my understanding, the the perplexing mystery to it all. Um, for example, in 1978's The Stand, we have the a virus that escapes from a lab, and basically science and government are always connected to the screw-up. So I wonder, to if I were to edit the, the mist and kind of make it timeless and just a huge you know, page of question marks, I would eliminate Arrowhead Project, I would eliminate the government, the soldiers, 
chop that all, erase that all from the blackboard, and just let it be random chaos. Um, I think that that would be so much more unsettling and so much more frightening. Very much like we have with War of the Worlds, we just have an alien invasion. Nobody did anything, nobody sent out a signal or a beam of light, or it was just a random turn of the dial, a random door opening. And I think that would have been cooler. I, I kind of got the the tie-in to 80s King where we've got the uh, government and scientists uh, wound up in secret initiatives. It works, sort of. Um, we, we also still have this device in present-day King. In 2019's The Institute, we're still observing um, this, this repetitive pattern um, in inside present day King works with the Institute, which is a very fun popcorn book. But once more, we have the Institute in quotes, which is funded by government secrets and scientists, and they're all in collaboration, causing mass havoc behind the scenes. It works, it works, but I think it's a little, it's old school. It's old school. Granted, King is the king of old school. We'll let him have it. But I think for, I would have wished that the mist could stand by itself, uh, detached from the government science bubble of, of bad guys, uh, corrupt government scientists in the background. We have a lot of that in the world of King. So I was hoping if we could just chop it, if we could chop it and just have random monstrous chaos. And I wonder, because at the end of the story, I'm unsure if it's just the city or the state of Maine or the entire world. I mean, King could have, I mean, he could have had another epic stand book, which he probably did not want to do, but uh, this was maybe, because it was written in 1976, um, something that maybe influenced the meandering journey of of the stand the stand of course is you know a very tolkien fellowshipy kind of book with lots of heavy religious imagery so it's it's interesting to think that the end of the mist might have been influential into the kind of journeying across a post-apocalyptic landscape so I don't know, guys. Um, I'm not an expert, and my, my, many of you might have had a lot more uh, research on these titles than I do, but for me, to recap, the sex, the sex scene, the strex, <laughs> strex, <laughs> stress, sex with Amanda Dumfries 100% just needs to be edited out. And it's not my conservative side coming through, it's rather the superfluous nature of it. I don't think it does anything to this for the story except make me question the character of David Drayton. I wanted I don't and I don't want to look at him in that way. I don't really care to think about his his compulsions and the fact that he's a skirt chaser the minute his wife is perceived dead or not, you know, in the picture. And then this lady Amanda Dunfries, who's also married with her husband out of town quite a bit, King kind of writes her, if you guys closely examine the text, uh, a little bit 
definitely in the arena of a male fantasy in terms of this this lady just can't wait she is so down to clown she is so eager to have this illicit experience she's the one who like guides him up to the broom closet so my inner feminist is a little bit tapping my chin a little bit like hmm okay um all right this is not aging well this is not aging well because uh it's just not so of course we're not really looking it's hard to not examine it from a modern lens we won't do that too much we want to look at the text as much as we can but that was one of the displeasing things is this woman is written as being a very um it's a male fantasy and she really doesn't have any qualms about cheating on her husband she doesn't care about what she's about to do there's just very little follow-through on her end and she's just kind of this male fantasy of completely open and ready and willing and can't wait to have sex with david drayton just cannot wait and it's a little bit eye-rolly dear friends it undermines my intelligence a little bit so i shake my head i feel it's useless i don't think it has any point in the story let's just chop it and I'm so glad Frank Darbont did just that. So once more, to recap, the stress sex with Amanda Dunfries and the Arrowhead Project, let's just chop that. <laughs> and uh, having said both of those, let's head into our last section of this episode. Let's look at the 2007 movie. It's pretty great. The Mist Continues. I'll see you there. Hi everyone, thank you so very much for sticking with us. This is our last chunk exploring the 1980 novella The Mist, as well as the first story that kicks off the Skeleton Crew short story compilation. So our last area to explore is the 2007 Frank Darabont production of The Mist. I just watched it for the very first time a few days ago. I am still thinking about it. So before we get into what I absolutely loved about the movie, the uh, so many great things to say, I want to highlight the genius creative that is Frank Darabont and also just kind of extend my heartfelt thanks to him as a King fan and as a movie maker because I feel this man simply turns King works into timeless magic. Uh, for example, the 1994 film Shawshank Redemption and the 1999 film The Green Mile, these were all adapted and the screenplays written by Frank Darabont. Directed, written, he is a wonderful man. And I, I just am so incredibly grateful for when he gets his hands on King Works. It's tremendous. And I have so much to gush about re regarding The Mist. So, 
Some of the things that I love, love, love about the movie, of course, is casting choices. I thought everyone did exceptionally well, and I was very pleased with the selection of Thomas Jane for David Drayton. And my favorite character of the story, as I already mentioned previously, is that nasty Mrs. Carmody. I was very surprised by his casting choice because he picked Marsha Gay Harden, and she, at the time of this production, probably looks like late 40s. And so in the novella, Mrs. Carmody is referred to being an old haggard, 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 what is that word? Haggard? That's it. An old haggard witch. Uh, a very frightening emphasis on the old, emphasis on the senior citizen. So Marsha Gay Harden was tremendous, and I like the fact that Frank Darbont kind of went his own way and selected her for Mrs. Carmody because she brings a lot of vivacity and vibrance to this sinister character, and uh, it's quite great. So the casting is amazing. Um, and jumping back to my love for Frank Darabont as a King fan, I absolutely jumped out of my spot on the couch and screamed of, at like really a squeal of joy. I did jump quite a bit in this movie because I would consider it a horror film. It was pretty freaky, but there was an amazing part in the movie where Marsha Gay Harden as Mrs. Carmody is approached by a creature and this is a frightening winged thing and it's about to sting her in the throat in which case the viewer already observed what it looks like when somebody got stung in the throat it's very violent and you get like a bloated goiter that suffocates you very akin to Captain Trips of the stand but this thing is floating near her neck and face and she says my life for you and I was like oh my god Frank Darvon sees us he's one of us this is amazing my life for you of course is a very iconic infamous phrase uttered by those who serve Randall Flagg um, this is the thing guys and so the fact that our very uh, religious devotee uh, says that and that specific phrase is associated with the dark man i flipped out and i just love frank darabont i just love him and i i love the fact that you know king fans get a little bit of treasure in in some of his works and this one felt very cool so granted this movie is 15 years old so for a lot of you guys You've seen this dozens of times already, but I am very new to the party. I just watched it for the first time. This is very fresh in my mind. Um, so casting is tremendous. Frank Darabont is a constant reader, and that representation on screen is pretty fantastic. Um, I loved the ending, guys. Uh, holy hell was that dark. DARK! All caps. So, please pause now if you have not watched the 2007 film version of The Mist. If you have, please continue listening. But So I did mention the ending of the novella at the beginning of the episode, and I was so excited to talk about the film with you guys because Frank Darabont is quite a compelling storyteller in his own right, and I really enjoyed the 
the change he made at the very end. This was maybe one of the darkest endings I've seen ever in my life, but it kind of works. It kind of works in terms of just sealing off this story to be very, very tragic and very, very haunting. So at the end of the story, we've got, of course, the fabulous Jeffrey DeMunn. He's an actor who's been in both Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and the um, Storm of the Century. He's also the audiobook narrator for The Colorado Kid. I love this man. I love Jeffrey DeMunn so much. His main accent is 10 out of 10. Even King is a huge fan of him. So actor Jeffrey DeMunn is in the car with David, his little boy Billy, Amanda Dumfries, and Mrs. Repler. I kept calling her Kepler. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And they have Amanda Dumfries' little revolver. Is it a revolver? I'm not good with guns. We'll just say gun. Her little gun. And there's four bullets left. And in a very shocking, dark twist, uh, they, I guess it's kind of... Well, the in a dramatic in the in the climactic ending leading up to it, they drive and they drive and they drive until the car runs out of gas and they're surrounded by mist. It's very sad and we actually get confirmation as the viewer that Stephanie Drayton is dead. She is super dead, so Billy has no mother anymore. David does not have a wife, so there's nothing to stay in Bridgeton for. So they drive until they run out of gas and then they look at the gun. They have seen their friends get ripped apart by the monsters. They don't want that fate, so they decide, rather, David decides. They all kind of look at each other. He quickly, oh my god, this is dark, guys. Um, all the, thank god, um, the camera kind of pans away to the outside of the truck, and we see and hear four shots, and then we kind of the camera returns to David Drayton, who is screaming and covered in blood spatter, and he has shot all four people in the vehicle, including his own son, Billy. He's screaming. He's that special kind of King Doom ending for a character where you're just delirious with terror and absolutely out of your body in regards to the horror, the horror, uh, that's, um, from The Heart of Darkness, written by Kurt, drawing a blank, um, uh, Joe's, no, um, I'll, I'll gain my English credits back later, (laughs) um, that's from The Heart of Darkness, um, so jumping forward to him falling out of the car, he's firing the little pistol, there's no more bullets, he just wants to die, he wants to die, so he starts to scream and rustle about trying to get the creatures to come kill him because he's just murdered his own son and three innocent people. And then the mist clears and we see army tanks and we see people being rescued and the army marches through and he is just screaming and on his knees realizing that he was just a few seconds away from rescue and hope and oh my god oh my god that is dark folks that is so 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 dark um i've been thinking about it i i'm sure a lot of 
everybody thought about it in 2007 and maybe to this day as i have heard that the mist film is highly regarded uh most favorable it's very favorable um in terms of the horror community and in king adaptations so i get it i get it this was a very very strong strong adaptation and that ending dark dark friends dark 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 but you know it works it was it was a choice it was a solid choice um it's definitely a closing to the book but yeah i wonder what happened to poor david drayton i got nothing buddies so um very tragic story there at the end very haunting very horrifying definitely solidifies itself as like a horror filled story so do you guys think it was too dark is the question um, I don't know. I, I think I think I'm okay with it, but it is really, really dark. But we have wonderful casting in this story, guys. Um the the characters of Ollie, of Jim, Norm, I, I feel casting was truly ten out of ten and this is a great ensemble cast and everybody in the grocery store does a tremendous job freaking out um of course it's great to see the chaos of the glass breaking and just people getting injured and running and the just the freak out it's very popcorn it's very action-packed and it is very gory it's very horrifying in a lot of ways very very creature feature which does make it very fun but I love the script. I like the changes made. Um, and I, I do appreciate the dark ending for sure. So I think that this was a great distillation of this novella. This novella packs a punch and it needed a special hand. Frank Darabont is that special hand. And I think Frank Darabont, as well as Mike Flanagan, these are the people who I trust wholeheartedly with any King work. I think that they just make magic when they put it on film. So I was really happy with The Mist, um, even though I definitely have been thinking about the ending for a few days now. So, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So I know I'm very late to the party. Uh, a lot of us have, of course, watched The Mist multiple times over the years, but... I would love to know your thoughts about the movie as well as the novella. So that is sort of our spotlight on The Mist. We are going to continue next week with the next 11 stories of which, let's see if I can read those off for everybody. The next 11 stories that we are going to take a look at, of course, are... Here There Be Tigers, which was published in 1968, um, The Monkey, Cane Rose Up, Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, The Jaunt, The Wedding Gig, Paranoid, A Chant, The Raft, Word Processor of the Gods, and The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands, and Beach World. I think that's 11. It might be 12, but I'll let you know when we get there. So we're going to take a look. I'm going to make sure I get all of those read, have some notes on each one of them. We'll talk about the standouts, the strongest, as well as the ones that are not so strong, maybe the ones who should have been chopped all together. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of these were published in all sorts of different publications. 
Um, I'm excited about Mrs. Todd's shortcut because I have read that one. So I'm looking forward to chatting more Skeleton Crew with you guys. But thank you oh so much for listening. I appreciate all of you. Once more, if you are new to the show and haven't said hi yet, please visit underratedsk at gmail and give me your thoughts on The Mist, on Skeleton Crew, or any of the previous episodes or King titles you'd like to talk about. We are all ears. If you also haven't already and would like to do so and continue on spreading some new year cheer, if you head to Apple Podcast and give me a five star, that would be oh so helpful. And if you would be the best in the West, if you could write something favorable about the show or share it with a friend, that would be tremendous. We appreciate that so, so much. So tune in very soon, dear ones, as the next 11 stories of Skeleton Crew will be coming soon, followed by the final 10. So in these next couple weeks, we're, we're focused on skeleton crew so let me know what you would like our next king title to be i'm thinking about from a buick 8 but you never know i might have to listen to one of the suggestions to from our listeners so thank you guys so much for hanging out i had a super kick-ass time with the mist it's freak freak freakalicious i am frightened but i'm ready for more so i'll talk to you guys soon wherever you are in the world stay warm stay safe And we'll see you later. Bye-bye.